0: Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 24. And if you're new to Authentic Church, we've been going through a series on the Holy Spirit. And i found in my life of living for Christ that, if unfortunately, in the Christian church, there's a lot of misconceptions and just flat-out wrong teachings as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the teachings of men or the wisdom of men. I want the teaching and wisdom of God. And so anytime you come to an area where you don't understand or you're hearing conflicting things... What you need to do is go back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Line upon line, precept upon precept, with good hermeneutics where you're actually looking at the structure of that chapter. What's it saying? To Who is it written? How does this apply to my life today? And so we're taking a look at the person, the power, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So Psalms 24, if you're with me, say amen. And if you don't have a Bible, we got a big Bible right here on the screen for you, all right? Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. Everybody say the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. So it's not just the earth, it's every person. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is this generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So this scripture is talking about the earth is the Lord. Everything on the planet belongs to him. He has creation rights. He founded it. He has all authority when it comes to this. But he placed man on the earth to take dominion and to do what? To multiply. And the Lord has given us this place as, if you will, like our own kingdom, that we are to steward and that we are to govern. And when God created the heavens and the earth, it says that he created the kingdom of heaven, and then he created the earth, and he created them in that order. And last week, we talked about the kingdom of heaven. And if you missed it, I just want to encourage you, go back and listen to the teaching. It's very foundational. The, per- the reason is, if you don't understand the person of the Holy Spirit, and he is a person, if you don't understand the person of the Holy Spirit, you'll never really understand his purpose you'll never really understand how to access the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? And so I want to encourage you to go back to that. So you you have in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's interesting, we're not going to go there now, but if you read the Gospel of John, when you read the Gospel of John, it's interesting how much chapter 1 of John actually mirrors chapter 1 of Genesis, right? We just read, Genesis 1. Well, John 1 starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And so here in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, okay? You have to understand, and we unpacked it a lot last week, but you have to understand that God is three persons in one. And there's some things as it relates to God that are just too much for my three-pound brain to understand. And there's some things that you just have to go, I don't know that I'll ever fully understand this, (laughs) and that's okay, because it reminds me of my humanity and his divinity, right? Like he is all-powerful, all-knowing God, and I am a a being with a finite understanding in my three-pound brain. As smart as we may think we are at times, we are limited in our understanding of the vastness, the awesomeness of God. And so when you take a look at God, some people refer to it as the Godhead, there is a trinity. Now, you'll never find in the scriptures the word trinity. It's not in the Bible. That's a theological term that refers to God as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? So it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, isn't like the least important, okay? Don't think of it in one, two, three in terms of like an order of importance. Just as you have three parts, God created you in his image. So God has three parts. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He creates you and I. We are a spirit with a soul. That's your mind, will, and your emotions. And you have a body. And you were created in that order, okay? Spirit soul and a body there's God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit it's really really critical that you understand this if you don't understand the person of the Holy Spirit like we're talking about in this series then you'll never be able to access the power and the the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life and there's a lot of great people well-meaning awesome Christians they're going to heaven we're going to see them one day that they don't have the revelation of the Holy Spirit because they've never been taught proper doctrine, or the teachings that they've received on the Holy Spirit actually were more so based on the teachings and opinions of man rather than the teachings of God. And I want the teachings of God. And I wanna pray for us that we would have that hunger, that through this time together, through this series, that there's something just stirring inside of you where you're like, I know there's more. Like, I've tasted and seen, I've walked with God 20 years, there's more. I don't care how long you've walked with God, there's more. There's more. Whatever you've experienced and encountered with him, I'm telling you there's more. And he wants you and I to encounter as much of him as possible because we're representatives of the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. So God creates man in his image. It says, then God said, let us Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man, Adam, in our, after our, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. You were created to take territory. You were created to build something, to create something, to take dominion. You were created to do something with your life. Your life is not about waking up and going to a job for the next 40 years of your life and then calling it good. No, no, no. Your life is beyond that. If that's all you see in your life is just waking up and going to work, then you're missing the purpose. And you're always going to feel a little bit bankrupt somewhere in your spirit, no matter how much money you may make at that job. Because there's an attachment of purpose that comes with knowing who you are in Christ. So God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion. So God created man in His own image. He created you and I in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's why it's so important that you honor life, even life in the womb. Yes, at conception, yes, because they've been created in the image of God. No matter what deformities they may have when they come out of that womb, they were created in the image of God. There is blessing, there is purpose on their life. So you and I are a trinity. God creates mankind he creates Adam and Eve, and he tells them to take dominion. But here's where things go awry. Sin enters the world. Adam fumbles the ball, devil scoops it up, and he's taken dominion. And ever since Adam declared independence from the king in that moment, when sin entered the world, now there's been a tussle. There's a, there's a fight that's going on. And it's gone on for years and years and years. And then Jesus came. So for thousands of years, you had this war between man and this spiritual war that's going on, and it turned into a physical war with each other. It's interesting to note that the first thing that happened after sin entered the world, what's the first great sin that happened? Murder. After sin entered the world, Adam and Eve have kids. Cain and Abel, brothers, they rise up. What happens? There's murder. Cain kills Abel because he was offended, because he felt like he brought an offering that was just as acceptable as his brother, but he he had hatred in his heart towards his brother. And Abel, if you read through Hebrews, Abel was regarded as the first prophet that ever lived. We don't have any note of Abel prophesying, but the fact that he brought an offering to the Lord was a prophetic a prophetic move to honor God with the first of, of his increase. And so here Cain kills the first prophet of God on the earth, and sin enters in the world and is, is shown through murder. And ever since then, there's been murder on this planet. And murder sounds maybe a little bit harsh, but that's exactly what happens all over the world, all over our country, when husbands leave their wives they murder that relationship. When when dads reject their kids, they murder that relationship. They kill it. When when spouses say goodbye, When when people blow up on people on the job, they're murdering that relationship. And Jesus said that Satan came to s- steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you'd have life abundantly. So there's a kingdom of heaven. There's a kingdom on, on earth. The kingdom of heaven sends down Jesus, right? So Jesus comes, and what does he do? Jesus paves a way that we could have a right relationship again with God. Why did the Holy Spirit leave when sin entered the world? The reason the Holy Spirit went away, back to heaven from the earth, is because he is a holy spirit. Sin can't live around the holiness of God. The holiness of God, so the Holy Spirit goes back into heaven and you read through your whole Bible from Genesis through Matthew. When you read the Bible, you'll, you'll read different times where the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a specific task and then it would return to heaven. The Holy Spirit did not dwell anybody until the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, he went into the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit. So just really quick recap, just to set this up a little bit with you. We won't have it on the screen, so you just gotta follow with me. So in Luke... Uh, chapter 3, you have John baptizing. This is John the Baptist, not the disciple. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. He's baptizing. And people are coming to him and getting water baptized. And he says, you guys are coming to me get water baptized, but there is somebody coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie their shoes. They're going to baptize you. If you go read it, you're going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. So Jesus comes onto the scene. He gets baptized by John, and it's not a baptism of repentance. It's a commissioning baptism, if you will. And then it says, full of the Holy Spirit. He's led into the wilderness. And when he's led into the wilderness, the first thing he does is defeat Satan. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is given to you to help you defeat Satan in every area of your life. Really, if you want to think about the big idea of the message today, the Holy Spirit is given to you to help you be holy to be more like Jesus. That's the big idea of today's whole message. The big idea is the Holy Spirit is given to you to help you become more holy, to be like Jesus. So Jesus then ministers for three and a half years. At the end of his time of ministry, he tells his disciples, it's better for you that I'm gonna go away. They're like, Jesus, don't go away. He said, no, it's better for you that I go away because if I go away, the helper's gonna come and you're gonna need a lot of help. I, like trust me you're going to need a lot Peter you're going to disown me you guys are going to walk away what no never <laughs> you're going to need help trust me guys so he tells him, I don't want you to go away in fact I want you to stay in Jerusalem okay you're going to there's going to be a helper that's going to come so Jesus goes to the cross you know the story Easter comes Sunday morning he's resurrected and then he appears to his disciples and 500 other people over the course of 40 days well, one of the occurrences, he shows up into the prayer meeting with all the disciples and says, hello, and freaks them out. And then they're like, okay, resurrected Jesus looks a little different. He's like, go ahead, look at my hands, look at my side. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, it's you. It's you, Lord, it's you, Lord. So they believe, in that moment, they believe, okay, he's the risen Christ. And then he tells them, uh, I, don't, I don't want you to leave this place. And he, he actually, in that moment, he, in John 20, 20, he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they're saved, they believe in Jesus, they receive his Holy Spirit. But then in Acts chapter 1, he tells them, now I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Why do you want me to wait? For the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the words of Jesus. We're going to unpack this today. He says, I want you to wait. Why? For the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, but Jesus, you just breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Why is there a baptism? Like, is that a different thing? Yes, it's a different thing. So let me unpack a little bit of the traits of the kingdom of God. So Jesus came to bring a kingdom. He came to bring a government. He did not come to bring a religion. Here's some traits of a kingdom. A kingdom has a king and a lord. Okay, let me tell you what the word lord means. Anybody know what the word lord means? It means owner. Specifically, a landowner, if you look back in, in um, through different uh, times of our uh, history of the world history, a lord would be somebody who owned a, a, a piece of land. They lorded over that land. They were the lord. So traits of a kingdom, there's king, there's a king, there's lord, there's territory. The territory is the domain. Kingdom is a king's domain. That's that's their domain. That's what they get to occupy. That's their. In the, in the kingdom, there's a, uh, there was a constitution. There's a royal covenant you got a royal covenant that you're using today to read along. That's the Word of God. There was citizenry. There was a community of subjects that were part of that kingdom. There was the law, which is the acceptable principles. There were privileges, rights, and benefits to being part of that kingdom. You had certain rights and privileges that people outside of the kingdom did not have. There were a code of ethics. These were acceptable lifestyles and conducts. There was military... Thank God for the military of heaven. There's an army that provides security for the kingdom. And there was a commonwealth. There was economic security. By the way, you operate in God's economy. That's why when you understand that God owns it all and you're just a steward, tithing is like a no-brainer. Offerings are a no-brainer. You don't hold on to anything as yours because you realize he owns it all. Everything is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. We just read it in Psalms 24. There's a social culture, there's traditions, there's protocol, there's procedures. These are the traits of a kingdom. So Jesus comes and he brings this mission statement in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. If Jesus had a mission statement, I believe this would be on his wall, okay? Matthew 4, 17, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he came saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is that he didn't come to start a new religion. He came to bring a government. Isaiah, verse 9, 6, said this. You see it on every Christmas card. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the what? Say it together. The government shall be on his shoulders. Jesus brought a government from the kingdom of heaven down to earth, to establish, reestablish what God intended in the first place. He's the redeemer. So he redeems this place and you and I as inhabitants. He redeems us to the purposes of God. So you have the kingdom of heaven. You have the kingdom of earth. Adam drops the ball. He loses it. Jesus comes to recover. Fumble recovery, right? He comes to recover it. And the reason the Holy Spirit couldn't dwell in anybody in the Old Testament is because they weren't holy. Jesus makes you holy. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you based on how you are or what you did or what happened in your life last night. He looks at you based on what Jesus did, which is beautiful, which is such a gift. And because he sees you through the lens of Jesus by the blood of Christ, like we took communion today, because he sees you under that, Now you've been made holy, and the Holy Spirit has entrance into your life. So the kingdom of God is not a religion. It is a government. It's interesting that when God gives the Ten Commandments, so he gives the Ten Commandments, and if you've never heard a teaching on it, we'll we'll unpack this later on, but there's, there's, there's five and five, okay, when you read the Ten Commandments, okay? The first five is really about your relationship with God, so it's vertical, and then the the last five is about your relationship with people, so that's more horizontal, right? So there's the, the 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 first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me, and they're they're not like necessarily listed in order of importance. They're all important, but there is a order, the way that God designed it, that some of these commandments carry different repercussions. Like like there's different repercussions when you do not honor God. If you if you do not honor God then, and then it, you're going to start having idols, which is number two, right? So then you're going to, he said you shouldn't have any idols and don't use God's name in vain. Uh, you know, remember the Sabbath, number four. Number five is honor your parents and that it would go well with you that you'll live a long life, right? So God gives this structure. Well, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. There's a level of, There's a level of importance there because the ramifications when you place another god above him, There's massive ramifications in your life. And then the sixth commandment that he says is you shall not murder. Don't murder because there's massive repercussions. You don't just affect that person. You affect entire family. You affect generations when you murder. And so murder enters the world. Cain kills Abel. And uh, life kind of goes awry. And then you see all throughout the Old Testament, there was wars. There was people rising up against each other. Even King David, the the greatest king in in Jewish history, King David had his own son, Absalom, turn against him. I can't even imagine that pain that he faced. Absalom was murdering that relationship between his father. But Jesus said this in John 10.10. Jesus said the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's the only purpose Satan has. His only purpose, he wants to steal everything he can from you, including your testimony. He wants to kill everything in your life. He wants to physically kill you, and he wants to use you as a tool to kill relationships all around you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy everything. He hates everything about you. Like the most hateful, murderous person that ever lived, Satan, and he wants to absolutely annihilate you. But Jesus said this, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. That's why in every city, every city that you look around the world, when you see a massive amount of murder, there's a low amount of governing authority. Right? When you see, I mean, look at all, just look at the cities in the U.S., the top, the murder capitals of the United States, when you take a look at that, there is a there's a lower amount of protection. There is a, a perceived threat of the police and law enforcement officers that they want less and less of law enforcement in those regions, and they're reaping what they're sowing. But Jesus comes that you would have life abundantly. He makes you holy so that the Holy Spirit can again come. Because he's a Holy Spirit. So he comes to make you holy. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us, say it together, pure and holy. He made you and I pure and holy. He freed us from all sin. That's what he does. And the Holy Spirit resides in you as a believer and any time you go to sin he knocks on your heart and says don't do that right the governor has been sent from the kingdom to help govern your life the holy spirit in in if you look at if you want to use this analogy of the kingdom of heaven and earth being a colony the holy spirit is like the governor that was sent by the king to govern this area and as long as that governor is in that territory, he has all the authority of the king. Thank you. Got a water holder up here. Thank you. So as long as the governor was in the territory, that king has power. I mean, you think, just take a look, pause, just take a break from thinking about it from spiritual perspective. Just look from an earthly perspective. Anytime that a king established a new territory, when he established that new territory, he would place a governor there. I told the story last week about how, uh, um, I want to say it was back in the 1600s. I might get wrong on that. I'm a history buff, but sometimes I get my er- eras mixed up. But uh, Portugal was one of, the, one, of, one of the premier countries in the world. They were, they were a powerhouse. And Portugal ended up um, trying to take over as a territory most of South America. They succeeded in keeping Brazil. And so they had Brazil, and there was the the son of the king in Portugal. He really wanted his own place. He wanted to reign. He wanted dominion. He wanted to have something. And so finally, the king of Portugal says, I tell you what, you can go to Brazil, and I'll give you Brazil, son. You can go. We're having issues there. We need to establish. So his son's, yes, it's my time to shine. So the son gets sent from Portugal to go to Brazil, and he immediately, when he steps into Brazil, he's the king of Brazil, Immediately. Now, when the son goes back to Portugal, he's no longer the king. What is he? What is he? He's a prince. He's a prince as long as he's there, but when he goes back to Brazil, he's the king. So many people are excited, and God's given you dominion and territory in your own, quote-unquote, Brazil. He's placed you on this planet to be a king He's the king of all kings, but he placed you here with authority to take dominion, to be a king, to establish his rule and reign on this earth. So many people are like, just take me out. Like, beam me up, Scotty. I'm done. The world is nuts, and God's saying, no. I want you to stay there. I want you to subdue. I want you to take land, territory, dominion. What does it look like? I don't want you to be a convert of the territory I placed you in. I want you to help convert the territory that I placed you in to the ways of the kingdom, and that's why you're here. I mean, the gift of healing is testimony to the fact that you got, you got territory to take, If there was no gift of healing, God would just say, you're saved, boom, dead, good, go to heaven, and you're done, right? (laughs) But God doesn't say that. Saved, awesome. Get your boots, man. It's time to go to work, son. We're going to work together, and I'm going to help you. Why does he want to do that? It's not just because he's greedy and he wants to be known and everything else. No, no, no. He did that because the only way that you truly find peace it's it, The Holy Spirit is through the Holy Spirit, right? You have peace, righteousness, and joy. Where do you find that? You find that through the Holy Spirit. So God leads us into his presence through the Holy Spirit. Acts 1-4. So Jesus is talking. <clears throat> some, of the people, some people think that Jesus' last words was uh, the Great Commission. So I think the last words was, Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and and they think that was Jesus' last words. Uh, Jesus' last words was not go. His last words was actually wait. So Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says this. While staying with them, this is with his disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. He said, but to wait for the promise. Everybody say, wait for the promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. And then he goes on to say, for John, John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. It's a separate baptism. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why did he want them to wait? Because he knew they would need the helper. He knew that they would need a counselor. He knew that they couldn't come by their own persuasive words but ideally, people would listen to you if you came with the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, like Paul found out in his preaching, right? Like he wants, to, he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit, baptize you, just like we talk about water baptism. We talked about water baptism a few weeks ago. The word baptize is baptizo. It's a Greek word. It means to fully immerse. So Jesus says he breathes on them in John 20, 20, <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. So they receive, but then he says, wait, (laughs) why wait? Because he wants to baptize you. Like he wants to fully immerse you in the Holy Spirit, that you would be carriers of the kingdom. And when the Holy Spirit, it's interesting, when the Holy Spirit comes, you know, he doesn't speak on his own authority. He speaks on the authority of the king. Anytime a government was sent to a nation, he didn't come in his own name. He came with a decree from the king. He came in the name of the king. When he brought laws, he came and they were set in place from the king to that territory. It's maybe too deep this morning. We're going to unpack this more next week. (laughs) So the promise of this this promise—it had to be the Holy Spirit. Whenever the governor was present, the authority of that entire kingdom rests within that governor the governor would go to places the king would never go. There are certain places that the governor went when America was established and there was governors and magistrates that were sent. The king never went to those places. But you could feel the influence and the authority of the king from that governor. We, as believers in Christ, recipients of the Holy Spirit, testify of the kingdom of heaven and we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, that now wherever we go, we bring the presence of God with us. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm going to have Matt go ahead and join us up on the, the stage, and you can play softly, and it'll make us all feel like we're ending now. Is this good teaching? Are you getting something out of this? So my, my heart is that you're getting a hunger for God, and I don't want you to take Even if you're sitting here and you're like, I've received so many teachings about the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to take my word for it, I want you, I, I pray that literally you challenge me on every one of these points. I pray that you would be challenged to go and read the Bible yourself. Like, don't take what I say or anybody else. Like, you go and you knock it out with God on this. You ask him, Lord, is this really what your word says? I want to know you more. Like, I want to know your depths and your heights. I want to hunger for you. I want to I, I know your presence more. I want to feel the leading of your spirit. I want to know your voice more. I want to know that it's you that spoke and not me that spoke. I, I want to I dive into your presence more. Acts chapter 19. This is Paul. Uh, Paul's on one of his journeys. And you know, Paul would go around and establish churches and He was an evangelist. He was tent makers. He was paying his own way. Sometimes they'd give him money. Sometimes they wouldn't. And he was going around, and he was establishing these different churches. And sometimes he'd go places where people had no idea who God was. And he would, like, have to start in the beginning was the word, right? You know, he would have to start with some of the basic, the nature, the characteristics of God. But in Acts chapter 19... He stumbles across some disciples in an area of Ephesus. This would be what we know of. This would be one of the earliest accounts that would become the church of Ephesus, the Ephesians. And there was, the Bible says there's 12 believers, or excuse me, 12 disciples. The Bible calls them disciples, not believers. There's 12 disciples that Paul comes across. And nine, Acts 19, verse 2 through 6 says this And he, Paul, Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And you might be here today, and you're like, I've never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. (laughs) What does Paul tell them? Paul says, into what then were you baptized? I mean, your disciples, tell me about your baptism. And they said, we're baptized into John, John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. And Paul says, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And that's Jesus. They're like, oh, okay, so on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. These are disciples. The Bible calls them disciples, okay? So they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse six, then when Paul... Had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Is that what the Bible says? We just read it together. Okay. How many know Paul has some pretty good doctrine? Right? He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. That's 13 more than you, more than me. 13 more books than any pastor you've ever heard preach or teach. I think Paul knows what he's talking about. Paul recognized that there was something off in their doctrine. He didn't hit them over the head. He just brought truth and helped to correct it. He presented it to them. And they get baptized in Jesus' name, which when we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we baptize people in the name of Jesus. And then he said, now you're gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not Jeff's words. It's Apostle Paul. Arguably one of the greatest apostles, church planters that ever lived. <laughs> he needed the Holy Spirit. Jesus, his ministry was built on being empowered with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus was walking the earth, the Holy Spirit was on lockdown. It was in Jesus. So Jesus had limitations. He could only be here. He couldn't be with the church in Irvine. He had to be with the church in Costa Mesa. And then he was done here. He could travel through the countryside, and he could go be with that church in Irvine. And then sometimes he could get up to that church in San Francisco that so desperately needs him. And every once in a while, then he'd come back to his favorite people, his favorite spot in Costa Mesa, But he can only be at one place at one time. He said, it's better for you that I go away because if I go away, when I take my place at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit can be released to take his place in the life of every believer. That everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. That this isn't just for one person or somebody that's super holy or special or got a doctor's degree in XYZ. No, no, no. This is on every person. Right, in, in the prophet Joel, he prophesied that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the last days on everyone, all flesh, sons, old men, young men, daughters, women. Joel prophesied that, and it was unheard of for a woman to be a prophet. He says, no, I'm going to be poured out, and your sons and daughters are going to prophesy what happens when Paul lays his hands on them when Paul lays his hands on them they are baptized in the Holy Spirit so the fullness of the Holy Spirit hits them and what do they do they start speaking in tongues to you and I that sounds kind of bizarre if you first read this I mean I grew up Catholic that it, the the official term in Catholicism would be that would be weird okay because I didn't read my Bible. <laughs> But you got to understand, just as a kingdom establishes its presence, one of the things that a king does is, what does he do? He goes into a new territory, and he teaches the, the governor, with his influences, teaches people of that territory how to speak that language. When Portugal took Brazil, were they speaking Spanish anymore? Nope, they were speaking Portuguese. That's why to this day in Brazil, they speak Portuguese. You know who won the war based on the language you speak. When the Holy Spirit comes... When you receive the Holy Spirit, that word receive is to have. It's yours. We receive it because the Holy Spirit already came. Now we get it again because he's come back because Jesus paid the way. We receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. Well then, when you're speaking in a heavenly language, speaking in tongues, you're really speaking your native language of what you were designed to speak. So you... And I, we've come under the king's authority today. Amen? We've come under his authority. Psalms 24, verse 3 through 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? We read it earlier. Who Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Receiving the Holy Spirit isn't for you to do something far out and wild and crazy. And be careful what you search up when you look up the Holy Spirit. You can go down some bizarre rabbit holes and wormholes in the internet. Okay? And that's the Holy Spirit's come as your helper like he's such an incredible gift and so many people resist him he's a guide he's a counselor you're wondering if you're going to buy that house or take that job or date that person or marry that person or where am I going to live what am I going to do I, I don't know what I'm going to what am I going to do for college the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and he whispers into your spirit and he gives you the answers he's your he's your counselor He's going to help you. He's going to give you the confidence to walk away from that job. He's going to give you confidence to stay in that job. He's going to give you help when it comes to raising your kids. Oh, my gosh. When it comes to raising kids and now having grandbabies, you need the Holy Spirit, okay? (laughs) I don't want to lean on my own understanding, right, Proverbs I don't want to lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I want to acknowledge him. I want to lift him up. I need the wisdom of heaven. We need the wisdom of heaven. Romans ten nine says this. This is Paul again. So you're not clean. You're How do I get right with God? How do I begin this? Really simple. It's not rocket science. It's easy. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you're here today and you don't have that peace and that confidence of your eternity being secure in Him, can I just encourage you? Not for my sake, not for a church, not for anything else, just from your own heart, for your own eternity. Jesus, your Lord, your Lord. I believe that that you came, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. I believe that you're resurrected. I believe you're the Son of God, and I believe that you take away my sins. So. Jesus, I trust in you. I believe you as my, you are my Lord and my Savior. Would you forgive me of all unrighteousness? Forgive me of sin. Wash me clean. Make me new. And then after that, get water baptized and pray and ask, God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.